We're just praying that God will guide us and direct us. One thing that we know is that God doesn't want us to not minister to people that he's sending us. And so knowing exactly what he wants us to do and when he wants us to do it is something that we're praying about and and appreciate your prayers about those as well. Well, Daniel chapter 3. Take your Bibles and go back there. This is our second sermon in this series or in this sermon, this text. I should say we introduced this on last Sunday and we're dealing with the the thought, the theme of resolve and specifically in this chapter resolving to be a people with fearless faith in a society that is anti-God, that is anti-Jesus. And we talked a, a good bit last week about the things that God allows in our life that are faith-building moments. And certainly this was a faith-building moment in Daniel chapter 3. These guys had already been through some faith-building moments. I encourage you to go back to Daniel chapter 1 and read. But God had already brought them to these moments. But be careful in our own life and also in the lives of our children to despise or or wish away those faith-building moments, those things that seem difficult and hard for them to go through and, and things that are in their life that, humanly speaking, yes, we hate for them to go through those things, and yet we understand this, that God doesn't allow anything to happen in our life as a mistake. And even if God doesn't bring it to us, God allows it. It goes through the filter of God and, and his sovereignty, and he allows it into our life, and he does so for a reason, to conform us to the image of Christ, to make us more like him, to, to make us better witnesses for him. And that is certainly the case here. I think of what Paul wrote, uh, the fellowship with Christ, not in wealth and riches and even around a table of just happiness, but he says, the fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. There's something in those moments of suffering and trial and difficulty that allows us to fellowship with Christ in ways that we cannot fellowship any other way. So in our text, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is filled with pride, he has constructed this idol that he has commanded everyone in the Babylonian kingdom to bow down and worship or else be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. It's a familiar story to many of us. These three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of course, they refuse to bow. They refuse to do so because their loyalty is to Yahweh, the one true God. And last week we read all 30 verses in this chapter. We won't do that tonight, but I want to read again their decision, their declaration to the king that is found in verses 17 and 18. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, if it be so, in other words, if you're going to throw us into the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Father, again, as we come to your word, we pray that we would be challenged and encouraged and strengthened tonight by your word. We thank you, Lord, for the joy that is ours through salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that is in us. 
um, working even tonight as our teacher and our guide. So we pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts. Lord, that you would teach us tonight from your word. You would encourage us as well as challenge us. In Christ's name, we pray this. Amen. This story is a reminder that living for God, standing with Jesus Christ in an anti-Jesus world in the New Testament age in which we live, it often calls for us to stand alone, to stand in the minority, and even many times to stand alone. Faith that is fearless in regards to what man thinks about us. I think of the proverb, Proverb 29, 25, the fear of man brings a what? A snare. But whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The story reminds me, as I was reading, of of a bold Egyptian man who often stood publicly alone for Christ in the fourth century. His his name was uh, Athanasius. And Theodosius, who was the emperor of the time, said, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. Many of you may have known his reply to that. He said, if the whole world is against me, then I am against the whole world. In other words, if it means that I stand alone for God, I will stand alone for God. I will not bow to these quote-unquote gods that are around us. And we, we all need to be reminded from time to time, don't we, in a society in which we live that is anti-God, anti-Jesus, that there is a need for us to have a resolve, this fearless faith that is even willing to stand alone, if need be, for God, to speak up for God, not out of stubbornness, not out of arrogance, not out of just simply being narrow-minded, but to stand on the truths of God's Word, to stand on those things that are clearly laid out in Scripture, the things that we call the non-negotiables, clearly defined truths that we need men and women, boys and girls, young people who will stand up and say this, the Word of God, thus saith the Lord, says this, and we cannot move on it because the Bible is clear. Things like the identity that God created us as male and female and nothing in between. That, that's something that is becoming a big topic in our society. And if we're not careful, we remain silent on what the Bible speaks very clearly about. Things like defining marriage like the Bible does between one man, one woman for a lifetime. That's how the Bible defines it. Those are things that we can speak about clearly. Uh, Things like life is precious that we talked about several Sundays ago. And and that life is a gift from God, which in essence means this, that abortion and euthanasia is murder. These are not things that are gray areas. These are things that the word of God is clear about. And yet, by and large, in many places, the church is silent about Or what about this, that salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ? This is not something that we are are, are bashful about or quiet about. Why? Because the Bible's clear on this issue. Or, Or that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He's not just a good man. He's not just a good moral teacher. No, Jesus is the Son of God, and there is no salvation outside of belief in Jesus as the Son of God. 
Or beliefs like the Bible teaches that Jesus was a virgin-born son of God. That he lived a sinless life. The Bible's not vague on that. The Bible is clear. Or, or that Jesus paid our atonement and Jesus bodily resurrected from the grave. The Bible's clear on that. We speak clearly to these things. Or what about this? The Word of God is our sole authority for all that we believe and practice in this life. That the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Do you believe that? That's not vague, is it? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable. It's inspired. We also believe that the Bible is very clear that it's inerrant. It is without error. It's not mixed with error. It's not partial truth. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's eternal. The Word of God stands forever. And these are things that you and I, we need to rehearse these things in our mind and say these are non-negotiable things and we're not going to be ugly about it and we're going to speak the truth in love, but yes, we're going to speak the truth. And that's what these three boys teach us in this story. They're, they're facing the hot flames of Babylon's death chamber. And in that situation, they make this great statement of faith. Say, so how did they do that? Let me give you this principle tonight. Maybe write this in Daniel chapter 3. Because they functioned on internal principle, not external pressures. They functioned on internal principle, not external pressures. You see, we live in a society that makes decisions and functions by and large, many of the times, by the pressures that are put on them externally. Rather than saying, this is an internal principle that I have that I am going to stand upon because it is a conviction of mine based upon the Word of God. It's not just a preference. It's not just something that I would rather. It is something that I stand upon because the Bible is clear about it. So we looked at the first thing last time, and that's as far as we got. But we looked at the ungodly dedication in verse number 1 through 3. And we talked about that there will be calls for you and I to worship other things other than God in this life. God made us worshipers, and we spent a lot of time talking about that. God made us worshipers. He put it in us to worship. So if you don't worship God, you will worship something. And we live in a world that is worshiping a lot of things. We won't preach all through them again, but we mentioned some of them last week. The God of possessions. I think Luke 12 is a great example of this. Jesus, again, is speaking in parables here, and he says the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do, I'll pull down my barns, build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, thou fool. Why? Because his God was possessions. It's not wrong to have things, but it is wrong for things to have you. It is wrong for you not to use those things that God has blessed you with for his kingdom and simply to accumulate and accumulate and build more barns to store all the things that you have for you, for you. 
seeking my kingdom, not God's kingdom. He said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? You know, that's a great principle. Everything that we have here on earth that we do not send for eternity's sake is going to stay here to be fought over and burned eventually. Might as well use it for eternity, right? You know, I think it's bad stewardship for us not to plan for that which we have here to be used for eternity. For it to be passed on to be used in the work of God. God has really convicted mine and Kim's heart about this in the last year and a half. Certainly to, in, to leave things for our children, but also to, to make sure that we leave things very specifically for the kingdom of God and also teach our children that what we give you and what we leave you is to be stewarded and given to God. He says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The God of possessions, the God of pride, the God of other people. We talked about how certainly family members, spouses can become a God. The God of pleasure, the God of politics, the God of prominence. Basically the question, what is on the throne of your life? What are you living for? What do you worship? So we see the ungodly dedication, the worship of, of an idol. And then secondly, look at in verses 4 through 15 at the unmistakable demand. Nebuchadnezzar does not make a vague command. It is very clear. The instructions were clear. The consequences were, were clear for any who did not regard it. Look in verse number 4. It says, to you it is commanded. I want you to see several things here that he uses in his demand to try to make sure that he pressures, uses that external pressure to get them to conform. First of all, he uses in verse number 5, I believe, emotional enticement. And he uses music to do so. You know, music touches the emotion. Certainly, it touches the intellect, but... Music touches the emotion, and what a gift it is. I, I don't know about you, but I love music. I love to sing. I love to express myself through music. It does something for my heart. And listen, God created it to do, some, to do so. But also, Satan uses it, right? I wish more of our young people we're in here to hear this because music is not uh, moral. There is music that is right and wrong, music that is good and bad, music that is beneficial and not beneficial. And so we see here that Nebuchadnezzar makes sure that the Babylonian orchestra begins to play. The emotions build. The people are persuaded to bow before this false god. By the way, we see this even in churches. Unfortunately, we see music used to cause emotionals that, emotions that are man-driven. Let me just say it like that. Man-driven emotions. And you hear the, the music in the background and it does different things and the persuasiveness of it as the pastor calls for people... It's fine, it's great, but what if a pastor calls for people to do things that are unbiblical and the music helps them do that? You ever seen that? I have. Music is used, and we see here that emotional enticement is used. Look at verse number 7. There's also social persuasion. 
Everyone is doing it. Everyone is doing it. If you don't do it, you're going to be the odd man out. If you don't do it, you're going to look peculiar. You're going to be the peculiar one. If you say that marriage is between a man and a woman, if you say that God created us male and female alone, if you say that abortion is murder, you are going to be the odd man out. The social persuasion is there. Everybody's doing it, guys. The third thing we see is government enforcement in verse number 6. The word is handed down from the king. Whoso falls not down and worships shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And if we have ever seen the easy accessibility of government enforcement, we have seen it recently, haven't we? We've seen how easily it can happen. We've watched it in other countries for years, and yet now we see it played out in our own country Seeing how easily people are persuaded by government enforcement. Not saying we rebel against our government. God's not called us to do that unless it goes against the word of God. Be sure there ever comes a day, listen to this, that we have to set aside truth to keep our tax-exempt status as a church. We will gladly give up our tax-exempt status. Will not give up the truth. There ever comes a day where they require us to send in our sermons to them for them to approve, for us to keep our tax exempt status? We will kiss our tax exempt status goodbye. Because the government should not enforce, should not tell us what we should and should not do when it comes to the Word of God. This is our final authority. Is it or is it not? It is. John 16, 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time is coming that whosoever kills you will think that he does God a service. They were thinking they were doing God a service by getting rid of Jesus. They were thinking they were doing God a service by putting Paul and Silas in the prison. And listen, there will come a day where they will think that they are doing God a service for punishing you and I for standing upon the word of God. And we need this resolve to be fearless in our faith. That day is coming. These boys understood well the unmistakable demand. It was clear. All of the pressures were properly put into place by King Nebuchadnezzar. But notice thirdly, the unwavering denial in verses 16 through 18. I love this. I love verse 16. We're not careful to answer you in this matter, O king. In other words, we don't have to think about it. We don't have to pray about it. Our mind was made up before we ever came here. We will not bow to any other God. I used to tell teenagers all the time when I was a youth pastor, if you have to make a decision in the heat of the moment, you're probably going to make the wrong decision. You need to determine long before you have ever get into that situation, your mind is already made up. When, when this happens, when I'm put in this place, I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z. Or I am going to do X, Y, and Z. 
And these boys knew before they ever went in there what they would and would not do. Perhaps some would counsel them, bow your knee, just don't bow your heart. Perhaps some would counsel them, just go through the motions externally. Hey, you'll be better, you'll be more productive alive for God than you will be dead. If there was ever a time to rationalize, this was it. Hey, you'll, you'll do a lot more good as the officers in the king's service than ashes in the king's furnace. You think these things went through their minds? You think these temptations went through their minds as they watched? By the way, they weren't, they weren't the only Jewish people there. They weren't the only ones there. How did they do it? You see, first of all, that their faith was settled. Again, this, this wasn't a decision that they had to make right then. Have you ever pulled out of the driveway to go somewhere, go out to eat somewhere with your wife, and it wasn't predetermined where you were going before you pulled out of the driveway? <laughs> We've all experienced this. Honey, I'm going to let you choose tonight where we go eat. Where do you want to go eat? Oh, it doesn't matter to me. Anywhere. Anywhere is good with me. We've literally driven around town. I'm not making a decision. So until you make a decision, we're just going to drive around. Go through all these restaurants. You want to go here? Pull in. You want to go here? It doesn't matter to me, honey. You choose. And I know where that ends, by the way. 25 years. Before these guys ever left the house, they knew where they were going. They knew what they were doing. They knew what they weren't doing. The decision was already settled. Secondly, their faith was not only settled, it was strong. Look at verse 17. Our God is able to deliver us. They truly believed that. It's strong faith. When Nebuchadnezzar said in verse 15, who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? They knew who that God was that was able. They, they had fellowshiped with him. Maybe their hearts re- rehearsed Psalm 50, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Their, their faith was strong that God could deliver them. I love what B.B. McKinney wrote, have faith in God, he's on his throne. Have faith in God, he watches over his own. He cannot fail. Do you believe that? He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Hey, we need strong faith in God. God is able. He is able. But then we see that their, their faith was steadfast in verse 18. What I believe one of the greatest statements in the Bible. I've heard this preached as a lapse of faith. But if he doesn't, oh, their faith is faltering. Oh, no, friend. (laughs) They are showing that their faith is not only settled and strong, but it is steadfast. And I'm going to show you why tonight, if I have to spend the rest of my time right here, that this is not a statement of lapse of faith, but rather a statement of great faith. A declaration of faith. 
Why? Because it was not dependent upon the circumstances of life. It was dependent upon the character of God. We know our God. We know his character. And despite what circumstances of life tell us, our faith is steadfast in God. Why? Because we know the character of God. And hey, if we burn in that fire, no loss to us. Don't threaten us with heaven. Or as, or as Paul said, to die is gain. This was win-win for these guys. When they said, if not, but if not, that doesn't mean if God cannot deliver us. They knew God could deliver them. What it meant was that no matter what, they were not going to bow to these false gods. They weren't threatened by death. Eternal life for a child of God is not a threat. And by the way, I say it a lot, but I want it to get in your mind. It's not a downgrade either. Death is not a downgrade. It's an upgrade by far. These boys would be promoted. We all love this story because the boys came out alive. We tell this story in Sunday school a lot. We tell the story of Daniel in the lion's den a lot. Comes out alive. We tell the story about Paul being delivered in prison. It's joyful. He comes out alive. But I want to take you to Hebrews 11. It's called the faith chapter, right? Go there for just a moment. Because here's people of great faith who did not come out alive. God inspired for their names to be written in this great chapter of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to begin reading with you in verse number 32 because this is where it all begins. What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, and Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and all the prophets who through faith they subdued kingdoms, they wrought righteousness, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the violence of fire. By the way, that's no doubt in reference here to Daniel and the Hebrew boys. They escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to, fly, to fight the armies of the aliens." Just victory after victory. David and Goliath stories, right? The underdog wins. Raising the dead. We love those stories. But look at verse 35. And maybe you would want to just write out beside verse 35. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. But if not. But if not. These are but if not moments still recorded in Hebrews chapter 11 in the faith chapter. Look at it, verse 35. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. This is where it shifts. That they might obtain, say it with me, a better a better resurrection. <laughs> A better resurrection. Death's not a downgrade. It's not a loss. 
It is a gain. It is a better resurrection. Look at the rest, verse 36. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were, they were sawn asunder. They were cut in half. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. They were literally put in coliseums as Christians. Wrapped in animal skins to be tortured and devoured by wild animals. Oh, a lapse of faith. God says otherwise. Hebrews 11, these are people who are strong in their faith. Steadfast in their faith. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, do not miss this, these all, listen to what it says, having obtained a what? Good report. How many of you like to, your kids to come home from school and there's an A plus on their report card? That's what he's saying here. Good report. A plus. They did not fail. They did not have a lapse in faith. It is one thing to be delivered. It is another thing to die. And all of it, all of it, both of it, by faith. By faith. Let me just say this. There better be an if not clause in your life. God, we believe you're able. Kim and I, we've prayed this for years with our boys, their disease. God, we know you're able. You can touch them. You can touch their body. You can touch their liver. You could heal it immediately. And God, we have no doubt, no doubt that you can. There's even been times in my life when I, I believed he was going to. But you know what we always says? But if not, God, we will never charge you foolishly. You're still our God. We will not bow to any other. Is there an if not clause in your commitment with God? We read in the New Testament where James was put in prison by Herod. And Herod cut off James's head. And then Peter is put into prison. And what happens to Peter? He's released. One died, one set free. Both men had great faith in God. It's not a lapse in faith. We don't understand all the ways of God. He's too big for us to understand. If we could understand him, he wouldn't be God. He's beyond our comprehension. But we trust him, don't we? Our faith is in him and him alone. I said, we trust him, don't we? Our faith is in him. God may not always deliver you from your trials. And if he doesn't, just stand with him. Just stand for him. And yet sometimes God does deliver us, and that's what we see in verses 19 through 27, an unbelievable deliverance by God. Verse 24 and 25 is, I believe, what we call a Christophany, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. 
We know that Jesus was in the beginning, right? Jesus didn't just start in Bethlehem. Don't make me go through all of that. But Jesus, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, was Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. He was God. He's all through the the Old Testament. He's not just in the New Testament. He just doesn't come into being in Luke chapter 2. And so we see this as one of the appearances of Jesus. He was was there with them. We mentioned it earlier, this, this fellowship of sufferings. What incredible fellowship these boys found in the fire. What supernatural deliverance, the bonds, the ropes that were put on them were all burned off. And it says in verse 27 that not even the smell of smoke was on their clothes. These, these guys were in the fire and there were not even signs of them being around a fire. Some of the greatest fellowship with God is experienced in the fires of life. And by the way, we have a God who can deliver. We have a God who is able and we ought to pray like he is able. We ought to pray like he is able. Sometimes our prayers are like he's not able. Now, our God, you are able to do this. You are strong. You are sovereign. You are all-powerful. There's nothing that we bring to you today that is beyond your power and beyond your reach. You are a strong God. You are able. And God, we're asking you to do this, not, not just for our sake, but mostly for your glory, God. To advance the gospel, God, we want to see you do this. And we know that you're able to do this. But if not, God, know this. We will not bow to any other. You're still our God. Lastly, and we'll be done, the unprecedented decree in verses 28 through 30. By the way, what will be the result when you do stand alone? What will be the result of fearless faith. Live or die. Live or die. It will be a testimony to God's goodness and God's grace. Sometimes when people die, we think God could have delivered them and and he could have really showed himself strong in that situation. And yet God says, I'm going to take death to show myself strong. I'm going to take death to draw people to me. In this situation, he delivers them and the decree from the the king. But by the way, let me say this. Be careful how you respond in the fire because people are watching. People are watching your response. They're listening to your words. The world is paying attention The conclusion of this is is this, resolve to give God exclusive loyalty. And of course, in the New Testament, the day and age in which we live, where we see even more clearly Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us, our loyalty is to Jesus Christ. Our decisions, our attitudes, our behaviors are determined by one of two things, and this is what I want you to walk away with tonight. What's guiding your decisions? External pressures or internal principles? 
external pressures from the world or internal principles guided by God's word. That's the great, the great lesson that this chapter teaches us. Genuine faith is demonstrated by following God and closing in this, regardless of the feelings inside of us. Man, there have been times that my feelings did not match what I knew I needed to do. Genuine faith is demonstrated by following God regardless of the feelings inside of us, in spite of the circumstances around us, and no matter what the consequences are before us. That's genuine faith. They understood, these guys understood either way, God was in control. Like Peter the Apostle who wrote, don't, don't be surprised by the fiery trials which are to try you. No matter what it is, no matter how long it lasts, it cannot compare. <laughs> no matter how hot the flames, it cannot compare to the joy that you will receive eternally with God. When we see Jesus in all of his glory face to face, everything here is temporary. So because of that, we as the children of God live with an eternal view. And every decision we make is based upon not the external pressures of a temporary life, but on the internal principles of an eternal word. This guides us. No invitation tonight, but let's bow our heads and close our eyes. No formal invitation, but we're going to have an invitation in our seats. And God put this series on my heart at the beginning of the year. I thought, you know, there's a lot of things in my life that I need to go back to, and, and I do this from time to time, especially at the beginning of a year, beginning of a season some resolves that I make in my life. And, and as I was studying and reading different things, this passage came across my mind. Because, listen, your pastor, your pastor needs this recommitment often. I'm human just like you are. I have fears just like you do. I care what people think just like you do. The fear of man is something I deal with just like you do. I need to come back to this and say, God, I do not make decisions based on the external pressures of man, but on the internal principles of God's word. This is what will guide me. This is what will direct me. And I'm going to ask you to pray for me as your pastor that that will be true. That I will be a preacher who is committed to the truths of God's word and preaching them in truth and love. And I'm also asking you to make that resolve in your own heart, in your own life, that you will be a person who is not persuaded by the exter external pressures of life, but by the internal principles guided by God's word. Father, we thank you again for this time tonight. We thank you for the word of God, it is our absolute authority, our standard. We thank you. It's such a gift to us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit of God that is our teacher, 
that is our comforter, that is our guide, that indeed infuses us with courage. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Literally, the the ability to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that causes me to pray tonight, God, help me to be led by you, filled with your spirit, directed by you and not my flesh. It's in my flesh that I find fear. It's in my flesh that I find myself fearing what man thinks about me. So God, I pray that we will be a people who will stand and if need be, we will stand alone. And and Lord, we're so blessed. I mean, this morning we had nearly 300 people here who we stand together arm in arm. We're not alone. We're not alone. Thank Thank you for the fellowship of the body of Christ, the army that you've put around us. But God, if there ever does come a day or in a situation, maybe in a business deal, where we're the only one who's willing to stand for truth or in a family situation where we're the only one willing to stand up for what is right or in a city hall meeting where we're the only one on the board that's willing to say this is sin, this is wrong, this is against God or or the only one at any time or place in our life where we have to make a decision on what your word clearly lays out for us or the external pressures that are pushing us in. God, help us to be people of conviction, conviction upon the word of God. Help us to always be a church that preaches and teaches the word of God without compromise, filled with love for people. Thank you, God, for the opportunity you give us to be your ambassadors. I pray as we leave here tonight that we will go go in faith, go in strong faith. That we will be witnesses as we go this week. That we will, as we talked about this morning, get the seed out of the barn. God, we pray that you will do all this for your glory. And so that the gospel will be spread. We ask this in Christ's precious name. And the church said, Amen. Amen.